Welcome to this AZ Law bonus installment. I'm Paul Wyke. AZ Law is regularly broadcast on Sun Sounds of Arizona. Sun Sounds is a nonprofit reading service that provides audio access to print information to people who can't read or hold print materials due to a disability that includes age related conditions. We encourage you to tell friends and family who might benefit from our programming about Sun Sounds and you can support this effort. We have a link to donate to Sun Sounds on each of our articles at arizonaslaw.org. Normally, AZ Law reads articles and commentaries from various publications about Arizona court cases and the legal system. Some of the articles are ones we report and publish at our own website, arizonaslaw.org. Today, however, our special guest is Mike Bailey. We had a very nice conversation recently with the former U.S. attorney for the District of Arizona covering a number of topics. So thanks to Mike for giving us a few minutes of his time and to you for listening in here. And here is that conversation. I'm here with uh, our former U.S. attorney for the District of Arizona, Mike Bailey, and thank you very much for joining us, Mike. I'd like no problem. Yeah, it's good to have you. I'd like to ask you just a few questions about how your time as uh, as the as Arizona's U.S. attorney went. Uh, how long were you? How long were you the U.S. attorney? First off, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say two years. The fact is, it was just a couple months short of that. Yeah, we'll round it up. Two two years. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll say we'll round it up to two. Uh, you know, obviously, I was thinking that the border is always uh, a significant part of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Arizona. How, during your two years, did you uh, uh, did you impact that ongoing situation? Sure, that is one of the, the biggest things that our office does here in Arizona, and it's one of the things that makes our office uh, very distinct among all the U.S. attorney's offices in the country. That and uh, our 22 federally recognized tribes really gives us two jobs on top of what the normal U.S. attorney's office does. So, uh, you know, it was a big thing for me, having come from the state system, to uh, learn about border enforcement from the prosecution perspective and figure out how to do it better. And I think we made some headway on that. Hmm. Uh, you know, we um, charge mainly uh, three types of border-related crimes. Uh, one is just illegal entry and illegal re-entry. Most of what we do, most of our cases are those illegal re-entry cases where somebody has been deported and they're caught by Border Patrol trying to sneak back across the border. And if you've been deported and then you try to come back uh, without permission, it is a felony offense in the federal system. Now, the punishments aren't that severe. You're talking for the -the run-of-the-mill case just a few months, but it is a felony on the record of the uh, immigrant that is coming into the country. So uh, we had to figure out how we can we can prosecute those efficiently and effectively. We probably uh, pre-pandemic were bringing anywhere from a thousand to 1400 cases a month of that mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really be- because uh, border patrol has to go through a number of different processing things in order to get them to court in time for criminal charges. We weren't even getting everybody that they apprehended. Some of the, the folks they apprehended went through the civil system and still were deported, but uh, we tried to work together with Border Patrol to get the, the the worst of the offenders, those who had come back in multiple times, those who were criminals, and that kind of thing. 
The other two crimes uh, that we saw frequently in relation to the border were, were drug trafficking, of course, people carrying drugs into the country uh, on behalf of the Mexican cartels, and uh, immigrant smuggling. Lots of uh, that business going on, too. Right. And did uh, so did that. Ch- I, I didn't understand that there was a that there was a two track system that you either put people into the criminal shoot on the on the reentry entry and reentry or or a civil suit. That's interesting. Right. And one interesting thing, uh, you know, two, two things that were new to me when I started learning about it was, first of all, if somebody makes it past the border and past the effective enforcement zone, under the Ninth Circuit uh, established law, unfortunately, we're not allowed to prosecute for an illegal entry. Wow. We have to actually catch them in the act. And so anybody who's here illegally can be deported, but the actual entry itself, you have to catch them at the border. Another rule that the Ninth Circuit uh, passed down just about a year ago, and there's still some hope, I think, that it will be overturned, uh, is that they said that you, that the statute reads you had to evade detection, and they took that to mean that you actually had to be in the presence of a police officer or a border enforcement officer. So if you ran out into the desert and crossed the border where there was no apparent enforcement, they didn't count that as evading detection, which <laughs> in my mind, it's really, you know, you're doing a good job at evading, and somehow the Ninth Circuit wouldn't let us. The best, eva- the best evaders are not evaders. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, most of most of the uh, enforcement that's done on the interior are folks coming out of uh, the jails who've gotten involved in the criminal justice system in some way or some type of workplace enforcement where not the Border Patrol but ICE then uh, makes an arrest and typically sends them through the civil system for deportation removal. Now, your office mentioned that uh, that you were the first uh, U.S. attorney to, to really emphasize publicly reporting the numbers of the uh, criminal prosecutions. How did that uh, How did that turn out? Uh, how did that work? Well, it actually was interesting, and this came about because I would ask questions trying to get to the bottom of who it is and why we're there. If we can't, through capacity issues with the court and the Border Patrol processing, get every single person on in the criminal system, how do we choose the ones that are the most dangerous or the most uh, repetitive and that kind of thing? And I would frequently get comments from my AUSAs saying, oh, well, we have a lot of them that are you know, criminals in some way that have been convicted of prior drug sales, prior violent crimes, prior thefts, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, how many, for example, were convicted of a sex offense? And we didn't know, and nobody had ever tracked those numbers. We could always tell you how many cases we prosecuted, but nobody could tell you of the thousand we prosecuted last month how many of those individuals had a criminal history, a, a, a non-immigration criminal history inside the country. Hmm. And so we started tracking that, and we were the first district to start tracking that, and we got about three months in before the pandemic greatly reduced the prosecution we were able to do, among other things, Border Patrol had the authority to because of the pandemic, to simply turn them around and take them back over the border without any additional process. Oh, right. So, you know, it was actually kind of eye-opening to me, and uh, we found that about a third of those for those first three months that we were prosecuting had criminal histories before they were deported. Anything from simple DUI or misdemeanor domestic violence 
to serious offenses. And I think in those three months, we probably had, you know, more than five, probably less than ten sex offenders and, and uh, a good four or five folks who'd been committed, uh, convicted of some kind of homicide offense. So did that prompt any uh, any changes or any reaction? Did Was that able to be replicated in other states? Did the National Department of Justice use those results, those those findings? The, the department, uh, people in charge of immigration back in the department were paying attention to it, mm-hmm. and it, it's my hope that the four other southwest border districts would have began tracking similar numbers, but we just didn't have a long enough runway before basically everything shut down, so... And, and frankly, now with the with the change in administration, I, you know, the immigration enforcement is going in the other direction. Should is, I guess that that segues us into uh, the current what you see uh, as changes in the way the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Arizona is going to uh, to run and border border policy, border prosecutions would be the the main impacted area, I would think. Right. And there's been some impact. I believe that uh, the administration has phased out the, what was a longstanding calendar of doing a what is essentially a get people into the system, limited prosecution of first time offenders so that a first time illegal entry is a misdemeanor offense. Mm-hmm. And for a period of probably 15, 20 years, they had called it Operation Streamline originally and then it, it evolved, but they wanted a, at least some prosecution done of first-time offenders, and I believe that that has been suspended, but the fact is, since the pandemic began, the resources that are available have been put towards the felons and the, the serious felons, not the first-time offenders. I think the bigger changes were probably on the civil side of the immigration system, where they had that 100-day pause and right. deportation, and that is where I think you're seeing most of the controversy right now. I know that the Arizona Attorney General, uh, Attorney General Brnovich filed uh, an action against the Department of Justice mm-hmm. related to this, but essentially, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that ICE does in its enforcement is collect uh, people who are here illegally and caught committing a crime, they go to jail or they go to prison, and then they're released. ICE would then pick them up and send them through the civil deportation process. Right. Uh, during this 100-day pause, frankly, they're just walking out on the street for the most part. Some offenses, uh, first-degree murder being among them, they're still permitted to uh, put them into the civil system. But for most offenses and most immigrants who are here illegally coming out of jail, they're just uh, released to the street. At least for now, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure we could talk about uh, we could talk about immigration and border security the whole uh, uh, the whole time, but uh, I know that we wanted to touch on some other topics. You mentioned earlier at the beginning uh, about the interesting uh, aspect of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Arizona being uh, the 22 uh, uh, Native American uh, sovereign nations. How does that? How how did you handle that? Did you were there any changes during your uh, during your tenure? Uh, we you know we made efforts to uh, cooperate on some of the tribal with with the tribes on tribal enforcement versus federal enforcement, but that that wasn't a major step. That's just something that I would say we tried to get things running smoothly where you know there is potential, or at some time historically there had been some difficulty in 
for example, having a, a person that we're going to charge through the federal system that had initially been started in the tribal system and working out the transfer of custody and that kind of thing. But that was nothing other than trying to, to make sure that it runs smoothly. It wasn't any major program. We did add one major program during the course of that time, and that was something we got a grant from the Justice Department where we were able to hire person who had the title of missing and murdered indigenous persons coordinator, but mm-hmm. there was a former uh, FBI agent, uh, Anthony Garcia, that we brought on who had uh, substantial experience in working in tribal crime and try to figure out what's going on with the backlog. There's a backlog nationally of missing and murdered indigenous persons, and you know it could be anything from a case was dropped to a case was solved but never closed in the records, and trying to coordinate the best way to, to work with tribal and state and federal law enforcement together to, to resolve the cases that we had here. And I think we had just a, a few over 50 in the NCIC system that showed open missing persons cases from our Arizona tribal uh, lands. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a big thing, and I, I think Tony has done a great job at that and already had some successes but otherwise, just going about and, and prosecuting as best we can the violent crime on the on the reservations. That was essentially the role of a of a, a county prosecutor, where you're you know there's not a lot of difference other than we're using federal law, but we're charging murder cases and sexual assaults and aggravated assaults and that kind of thing. So the cooperation was 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 good then with the uh, with the different tribes. I'd like to think so. Absolutely. <laughs> Good. Cool. A couple of years. Your your office also mentioned that there were some interesting uh, national security cases uh, during your your couple of years. What what were those out of Arizona? Well, we we had uh, the national security cases are always interesting. Uh, uh, those that I can talk about, we had a couple different occasions where we were able to apprehend people as they were essentially leaving the country to go support. Uh, terrorist organization in some way, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and, you know, it was it was the kind of situation where they were expressing an interest in going and making arrangements to go, and in fact, they were dealing with an undercover agent in their discussions and planning, and that's how we were able to catch them in those cases. We had another kind of one-off uh, but interesting case where an employee of a, of a construction inspection company that... Uh, had radiological material to evaluate the strength of steel beams so they essentially take x-rays of it and mm. so forth mm-hmm. just by all accounts had a had a bad 48 hours and went kind of wild including assaulting a circle k clerk but he went to his workplace and took a couple of the radiological devices and intended to go place them in the scottsdale fashion square mall and expose the shoppers to radiation and Fortunately, the FBI caught him before he was able to do that. And and as he wow, I I don't remember even hearing about that. Was that? I think you would. <laughs> yeah. Was he? Pro- has he been? Uh, has he been convicted? Or he's, he's been. He ended up pleading guilty and was sentenced. Sentenced right after I left office, and I can't remember exactly what the uh, sentence was, but it was a large number of years. Huh. Wow. Yeah, there's an amazing amount of cases that we don't hear about uh, that that sort of are under the radar, aren't they? Right, and, and uh, that's why it's a good thing you have a, 
a podcast on a news site to get this information out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, before I before I let you go, I, I've got to ask. Uh, you had to deal with the election uh, this past November, and uh, in some ways, we're still dealing with the election, but. There was a lot of talk uh, beforehand uh, from the attorney general and from from others about uh, trying to find any possible election fraud whatsoever. How was how was Arizona's uh, U.S. Attorney's Office impacted by that, and and how did it, how did it do? You know, we were, and I'll and I'll be careful about what I say so as not to comment on anything that isn't public, but we. You know, I think we're probably in no different position than than the other offices in the country. We had guidance from the department. In fact, there was a little bit of a controversy after the election when Attorney General Barr changed a a rule that had been in effect for 10 or more years relating to when election fraud can be investigated and essentially, frankly, brought the, the department's policy closer to what the actual law is. Law prohibits any investigation at the polling places on election day. And out of an abundance of caution, at some point, the department extended that to say no investigation overtly can be done until after the election's been certified. Oh. And I think the attorney general said, well, if there's fraud, there's no reason not to investigate it during such a time as when you might be able to remedy it. And uh, that caused a little bit of a stir with the career staff in Washington, I think. But from our perspective, everything went uh, smoothly and certainly the federal authorities in Arizona, as well as I'm sure the state authorities, you know, took a close look at every every uh, claim that was submitted of election fraud. Right, and we haven't we haven't seen any indictments or any charges being brought. Should we make any inferences from that? I don't think you can make any inferences one way or the other on that. First of all, I can't, and the federal law enforcement authorities, the other ones, uh, investigators can't comment on anything that's pending. And secondly, or or we can't comment on the absence of anything. Right. You know, if there's an event, we neither admit nor deny whether there's an investigation pending. But secondly, this was the other uh, kind of big surprise to me coming in again from the state system is just simply how long these investigations take of any kind. Hmm. And it's it's certainly partly because all of the federal agencies we work with are very thorough in their investigation and a lot of it is paper intensive and takes long to collect documents and so on but uh, you know at the end of my term i probably had investigations i started that never I would i would never have been able to see through to prosecution and there were probably some pending investigations when i arrived that may ultimately be filed but still haven't been filed on any you know i'm not talking elections i'm talking all topics right Uh, in general yeah that is kind of one of the frustrating things frustrating not in the sense that i'm complaining about they need to do it faster but just you're you're in there for a short short term sure just kind of managing the ship and the ship moves on after you go right or or the analogy of uh, the baton and the relay race yep exactly well speaking of that uh your your successor the acting u.s attorney for arizona is anthony martin you brought him you brought him to arizona correct i i did and i suspect anthony will uh and uh, I, I uh, asked him to come out and, you know, assist me. He was a colleague in the state attorney general world. He was my counterpart in the West Virginia attorney general's office. I, I suspect he'll probably head back east uh, at or before the time they have a new U.S. attorney in. 
<laughs> whenever that might be, right? <laughs> right. And I think they're they they seem to be moving. It sounds like the from the scuttlebutt I hear that the Senator Cinema has established a panel that established some finalists, and now they're probably working with the Department of Justice and and the folks in the White House to select the next U.S. attorney. Yep, that that probably will be coming soon. I, I know that they, you know, they were probably working on their other nominees and administration level, and now they're going to be start working on the on these appointments. What uh, what what's your next uh, what's your next move? What do you where that's are a, you going? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, if you have the answer, Paul, I'm happy to listen. But I'm I'm uh, looking at all my options right now. You know, I've been out a little over six weeks, and you know, I'm probably going to end up practicing law. Uh, so I'm talking with a few law firms, and also considering you know, opening up a, a new practice and whatever else comes along, I'm certainly not going to reject it out of hand. Well, good. I'm sure that uh, people listening, uh, I'm sure that some of the attorneys listening are, are paying close attention to, uh, to that answer. And maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a call or two. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe I will get a call. Uh, we'll, we'll see. There are so many offices opening up uh, this time around. I can't rule out politics either, although it's not not a definite direction. So that's true. Your your former uh, your former boss might be running for something else. He, he's term limited out, correct? He's term limited <laughs> out. There are a number of other races coming up in twenty two that are interesting, and I say that uh, mostly just for fun. I don't have any attention right this second of jumping into anything. But and you're not running for anything. Not not yet. Not right now. Not uh, not to replace your uh, to Attorney General Brnovich or anything like that, are you? Well, not not never say never, but nothing nothing now. Okay. Well, anything else that that we should touch on that uh, you think would be a, be of interest? No, no, I don't think so. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and uh, thank you for for doing this uh, podcast of a legal interest in Arizona and. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate By saying I, I had a, a great uh, pleasure and honor uh, being the U.S. Attorney for the district for a couple of years. Absolutely. Well, that's good. And, and thank you so much for, for doing that, for, for your service and for, uh, for being an attorney here in Arizona. Over, over, you graduated from U of A, right? ASU. ASU Law School. Okay, good. So did I. For some reason, I thought you had gone to U of A. No, that's good. You you chose the right law school then. No, I, I did. <laughs> I uh, will refrain from telling my U of A joke that I usually do when I introduce people from the U of A. <laughs> so I will tell the joke offline. Okay, sounds 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 good. There's nothing wrong with the joke, other than I at this point probably don't want to offend anybody. Well, yeah, sometimes it's good not to not to offend anybody from either school. Okay, well, Mike Bailey, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and and all the information that you shared with us today. You bet. Thanks, Paul. So again, that was Mike Bailey, the former U.S. Attorney for the District of Arizona. He uh, resigned that post earlier this year. And so I'd like to thank Mike and you for joining us for today's bonus installment of AZ Law. Please visit us regularly here at arizonaslaw.org while you're there. Be sure to click on the links to donate to Sun Sounds of Arizona. Remember, Sun Sounds is a nonprofit reading service providing audio access to print information to people who can't read or hold print materials due to a disability, and that includes age-related conditions. 
I'm Paul White thanking you again for listening and looking forward to the next time that we can join each other again here on AZ Law.